take your Bible or whatever device you use for following along in the Word of God, uh, turn to Titus, Titus chapter 1, and uh, I'm not going to read this passage at the beginning. I normally do that. We will read it with each of the points because I want to emphasize this as we work our way through again, what Paul had to say to Titus that was on his heart the most important way of making sure Jesus Christ would be known and magnified uh, on the island of Crete. And as I was studying this week, I thought of another passage of Scripture that dovetails with everything that we've been saying today. Now, you're in Titus. You can jot down this verse, and we'll read it, and then you can go back to it and look it up later. But what we've been doing today is what we always try to do, and that is to magnify Jesus Christ in every way, in everything that is done, every prayer that is prayed, every song that is sung, in the preaching, in the teaching, in everything that goes on. Why? Because He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. For by Him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers, or authorities. Think of His sovereignty over all of those, folks. All things were created through Him and for Him, and it reaches a crescendo in which Paul, now writing to another church, but the same kind of theme, He, Jesus, is before all things, and in Him all things hold together, and He is the head of the body, the church. So right there in this passage that speaks of the magnificence of Jesus Christ, it is not separate from, it is not divorced from the person who is his bride, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might have preeminence. And you see in your outline, we have broken this down. We go back using the same basic outline that we used last week, but with some different emphases that I hope will help you. Last week, we, we wanted to magnify. We wanted to talk about the church and the fact that in many places, many churches, the organization that we rarely talk about the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. And we said several things last week. We are not going to reiterate if you want to hear those things. And what I said last week from the Scriptures about the church, you can go back and listen to that sermon. In fact, I hope you will. But today we embark on a little bit different kind of journey through these, again, these four points. Uh, Verse 5 first and then verses 9 through 16. So before I begin reading and we begin studying, let me once again pray. Father, I thank you that we have been singing about the wonder of Christ. I, as much as I sing, as much as I study, I realize realize that my thoughts, I'll just never be able to fully embrace, to understand 
how wonderful and how magnificent Jesus really is. And Lord, try as I may, even as I dig into your word and ask your Holy Spirit to reveal to me your truth, I think that in days past I've missed in many ways what you have to say about your church, your, the body of Christ, uh, the bride of Christ, and the one for whom Christ came to shed his blood. And so I pray that as we walk through these, that once again, nothing new, nothing flashy, but just something that has been on your heart since the very beginning, yea, even before the foundation of the world, talking about the church. So Lord, help us to understand. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, do you have your outline there in front of you? Let's start with number one, for a church to be healthy. Obviously, we're talking about all the churches. We're talking about local churches, and we're talking about this local church, Heritage Baptist Church. And so we are an organization, but we are also a body of believers that have been called here together. We're going to define that a little bit more in just a few moments. But let's look at this. For a church to be healthy, it must be set in order and have godly leaders. We've already talked about this a lot. And so let's just read what he says in verse 5, what Paul says. This is why I left you, Titus, in Crete on that island, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town that is church as I directed you, remembering that there was one church in each town. That's the way it was back then, before the proliferation of a lot of different organizations, some the true church and some that were merely named church, but really didn't act much like the church. So we see, and we've already seen this, I remind you of it again and again and again, without apology, the head of the church is Jesus Christ. You might be asked sometimes, well, who is the leader in your church? Who they mean by that, the pastor, usually the senior pastor. But who is the head of the church? We try to make this something we emphasize in all of our new member classes. Who is the head of the church? It is Jesus Christ. And guess what he has been doing since the initiation of the church on the day of Pentecost, he has been building his church. And as much as people will sometimes say the church is in decline, the church is in trouble, all these kinds of things, folks, Jesus is building his church, his church, the true church. And he will do so until he comes back. So Christ is the head of the church. He's building the church. You might say it in this way, there are true churches and there are false churches. Said in another way, there are groups or false religions or cults which may call themselves church, but the true church is something different. So what is the true church? I gave this to you verbally last week and I have tweaked it. I always love it when people come up and say, you know, we, we have a discussion about some of the things that I have said in the sermon, or maybe I'll get an email and things like that. A great, great dialogue, uh, almost without question. 
I can't say this in former times necessarily at other places, but it's always cordial and always a good dialogue. So here is a definition. I went to several other groups, Lutherans, Presbyterians, Baptists, you know, non-denominational groups. And here is what I see biblically is a definition of the church. I'm going to leave it up there for a minute. So here's what we mean when we're talking about the church. The church is a local assembly of followers of Christ. And we could say Christians, we could say believers. I'm saying followers of Christ, and in a minute you're going to see why. Because the the true church that is included in this group here today is made up of sheep. And Christ's sheep hear his voice, and he knows them, and they are following him. And that's why I put in here followers of Christ. So the church is, we we trust with all of our heart that the majority of you in here are true sheep. And if you're sheep of another fold that are not yet in his sheepfold, there are lost sheep that haven't yet come in. We pray that today that could be remedied as you hear the gospel. There are goats. We can talk about that maybe more the next time we approach this subject. But whatever the makeup of any church is, the church is first of all a local assembly of followers of Christ where, and there, there are three things that are very important. Number one, where the gospel is rightly preached. Now it says the word of God and the gospel. They're synonymous because every portion of this book should ring true with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So a local church, a true church, is a local assembly of followers of Christ where the word of God and the true gospel are rightly preached and honored. You may say to yourself, well, that's every church. Tragically, it's not. There are many churches where the Word of God is not rightly preached as the sola scriptura, the only source of our authority, or Jesus preached as solus Christus, the only Savior. And and so a true church is where that's happening. Now, I I, I don't want you to start thinking of other churches that you have experience with, but, but these things are inevitably going to come to your mind. What I want you to do is focus on the church that you're a part of, which most of you, that's this church right here. So that's the first part, local assembly of, of followers of Christ where the Word of God and the gospel are rightly preached and honored. Secondly, Jesus is rightly worshipped, not with every song that you might prefer, but let me ask you this. I I hope you sense what I sensed as we were singing, and that's not all of worship, okay? That's singing. The prayers are part of worship. The preaching is part of worship. Your response is a part of worship. But I hope you, like I, when we were singing those songs, whether you were familiar with them or not, the words that you saw on the screen that were coming from your lips saturated with Jesus, And so where Jesus is rightly worshipped, the third thing, where, and then the fourth thing really is a part of the third, okay? So I'm just going to say three things 
but a fourth grows out of it, where the ordinances, if, if this were a, a Presbyterian or a Lutheran church, probably right there, the pastor would say sacraments. We call them ordinances. There are two in, in our way of looking at the Scripture, the ordinances are rightly observed. And when we come to the end of the time today, we're going to encourage you to participate in communion, in the Lord's Supper, if you are a follower of Christ. If you are not, we would ask you to not do that. You don't have to be a member of our church because we think of it as you being a part of the larger universal body of Christ you're visiting with us today. And if you're a follower of Christ, you're welcome to partake of the Lord's Supper, a remembrance of the cross. It's a picture. I use illustrations sometimes. The greatest illustrations that we have are the two ordinances, baptism, water baptism, and the Lord's Supper. So, where the gospel, the Word of God and the gospel are rightly preached and honored, where Jesus is rightly worshipped, the ordinances are rightly observed, and out of that, discipline is rightly administered. And some of you, seeing those words, are going to go into vapor lock. Discipline... Parents, do you discipline your children? Do you? Discipline is, all, is not always negative. There is formative. Look at, look at the two kinds of discipline growing out of the Word of God. There is formative discipline where a, a parent, and we can understand this in the church, what we do, a lot of what we do in terms of our preaching and our teaching and our accountability and our discipleship and our prayer and our koinonia. And I could just go on and on with the different elements, but they're designed to form you into the image of Christ. So a lot of discipline is that positive discipline, but there is also corrective discipline. And there are so many churches that are not considered true churches Because they would say horrors. We would never, ever point out somebody's fault, somebody's sin. Did you realize that most of this discipline, even, even the corrective, is not done publicly? Parents, you don't just go out in public and if you have to correct your child, it's not the first thing you do. What does Matthew 18 say? If there's something between you and a brother, you go and approach that brother, correct it in private. And then if that's not enough, take a couple of people with you for help, for assistance, for prayer, for looking at God's Word. That's in private. Do you realize that most of the discipline that goes on in this church, whether individually or, or in a, a small group or through the elders, it, most of it is private. And it's not until it becomes an issue that cannot be resolved will not be resolved, that it becomes public. Take it to the church. And that's a step before that person is actually put outside the church if they're rebellious and will not listen to it. So that's the definition of what you saw a minute ago of a church of Jesus Christ. And here's our purpose. What do we do when we're gathered? Wow. 
I'm just going to say this before we move on. And I think most of you will get it. The purpose of Heritage Baptist Church when we're gathered is not to attract the lost. You, you will never find in Scripture that as the purpose of the church gathered. The purpose of the church gathered is to edify the saints. God has given His Word, apostles and prophets. He's also given evangelists and pastor teachers to help equip, and that's what we try to do. We equip the saints for the work of the ministry, like Jennifer, like what you were talking about. The equipping so that you find your place. That's what we focus on. That's why we focus on Jesus and focus on building up the body of Christ every time we meet here together, particularly this time of corporate worship, and then the job when we're scattered out there when you leave today and where you go to eat, where you live, where you go to school, your neighborhood, your friends. The purpose of the church scattered is to take the gospel. You are a chosen race. We talked about this last week. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And that's why we exist. One more thing. This all boils down. we, we, We may come back and visit this. I just had this thought the last week or so in looking at this, ultimate goal, purpose of the church, meet together, observe the ordinances, preach, teach, edify, send, formative, corrective, discipline. All of this is for our, please hear this, unity. But not a unity that is built on a syrupy, ungodlike, quote-unquote, love, but unity built on purity. That's what, that's what we're seeking. To, that, that's why unity, it starts in the purity of the individuals who are in this church, and that always, I hope, goes without saying. He said this, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Let's go to the second thing, all right? Godly leaders must hold to God's Word firmly, instructing saints, rebuking deceivers. The elder must hold firm to the trustworthy Word as taught. I'll go back to this. So that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also... So part of my job, part of the elders' jobs, part of the, the leaders, men, if in your home, this is part of your leadership responsibility. You are giving instruction in sound doctrine. You're not just leaving it to the Great Adventure Club or the Adventure Club, or you're not just leaving it to Sunday morning, Sunday school, or ABF, or, or the church. You are a leader and you are instructing in sound doctrine. talking with one of our granddaughters the other day, and she just offhandedly said, 
you know, when Daddy was praying with us before we went to bed, and both Shan and I stopped, and we, we, we said, call the grand, I think it was Eden. We said, Eden, do you, do, you, do you realize how fortunate you are to have a daddy who prays with you? A daddy and mommy who pray with you? It's a two-way thing, but he, he, he's, he took the lead in that. I think he does that every night. Even when they spend the night with us, guess what? There's always the call so he can pray with the girls. And I said, do you, do you realize how fortunate you are? Do you realize how fortunate you are to have a family and have a heritage of that? And please take that and make the, the right decision. Anyway, it was a little teachable moment and something for which Jan and I are so incredibly grateful. So part of, the, part of the role of leaders is to instruct, but part of the role is to rebuke. Now, which, more, which is more fun, instructing or rebuking? Uh-huh. Yep, instructing is a lot more fun. But every once in a while, you have to rebuke. In every church, there are two basic groups with a little third group thrown in. I follow this. I'm, I'm just going to share a little bit about it. I, I think we're going to come back and develop it. So, what two groups that I know are in this building today? Any guesses? There are sheep. Sheep are good. Sheep are born again. There's a definition of sheep. Here it is. They follow Christ. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So, if you do that, and, and not just following to earn your approval. It's not, it's not Jesus plus. It's, it's just you're doing that because you've been born again, and you're a sheep, and you, you do that. Not perfectly. You're learning. That's why you come to church. That's why you're in Bible studies. That's why you have your own quiet time, so that you can grow. My sheep hear my voice. Do you hear His voice today through His Word? Do you? On an ongoing basis, and do you follow him? These are both in the present tense. Are you following Jesus? And if you are, even imperfectly, that probably means that you're a sheep. And I pray that everyone in this building, and I look around, I'm trying to see people that are sheep-like, some fluffy, some not. And then there's another group, always. And Jesus said that there would always be wheat and tares. Don't go after them. Exhort and rebuke. Expose them. But don't rip them out. But there's always another group. If we're staying with the analogy of sheep, what are there also among us today? Goats. Sheep are good. You hear this coming, Ed. Goats are what? Bad. Is that one of my third graders? Okay. There's also another, another group that sometimes come in. Sometimes come in. Savage wolves. That, that's, that's basically what we're going to see here in a minute joined a little bit with goats. But let me tell you something. Sometimes sheep can get out of sorts. 
Sometimes sheep can act like goats, right? Hurt people hurt people. You ever heard that? Hurt sheep will sometimes hurt others, but they're born again. See, goats have never been born again. They're self-deceived. They have a profession, but no possession. Let me give you a couple of, this is four slides of two different passages that talk about the reality of goats in the church. Okay? That's all we're going to say. We're not going to spend a lot of time. Look at this. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. I hope that you follow Jesus, and this does not describe you. And see, in a lot of places that you go to on a Sunday morning, you're not going to be exhorted or, or exposed to this, because that might offend people. Paul said the most loving thing you could do is to help them know. But, but this, is, this is what they were saying. They profess to know God. They deny them by their works. This is in your lifestyle. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for every good work. Do you remember the end of Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10? We're created for good works to walk in them. Then he reminds us, let's go back to some of the words of Jesus. Not everyone here today who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father, you're following Jesus, who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy? Ooh, there are preachers who say, Lord, Lord, am I one of those? Cast out demons, do mighty works in your name, and then I will do, declare it to them. See, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them. But, but here, he, this is a goat. I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Let's go to another passage. Goats are not talked about a lot in, in the New Testament, but here is the classic passage. There's going to come a day of what some have called the great assize, a great separation, the sheep and the goats. Nobody's going to be in the middle. Sheep on the right, goats on the left when Jesus comes again. And then he says this, depart from me. He, he, he tells the sheep, go in, I've prepared a place for you, blessed are you. But then he says, depart from me, you cursed. They profess to know God, but by their works they deny him. They are detestable. Cursed, Jesus says, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Have you ever thought about that? That there could be somebody in this room who is a self-deceived goat? Or maybe a sheep that's backslidden? That, that ought to be cause to stop and say, oh God, I, I don't want to be a goat. Please reveal, to, open my eyes, reveal to me so that I can see the gospel and be saved. You know, I, I think sometimes that Satan is very, very happy to keep this world out here deceived and lost the majority of people in Oklahoma City got up today and they went about their business. No thought of God 
whatsoever. Their hearts pretty much have been seared, according to Romans 1. But we're not talking about that. I think Satan's happy with that. I think he turns somersaults in joy. When in a church where the gospel is preached, where the word and the gospel are rightly preached, people are still self-deceived and walk through those doors, never really thinking about the eternity that they will spend based on whether they have been born again, following Jesus, or professing to know God and denying Him with their works. Third point, we need to move on. False teachers must be silenced in the church or they will bring confusion and destruction to the church family. Verse 10, for there are many who are insubordinate. That has to be a generalized statement. I don't know of many of you who are like that. There have been people who have been a part of our church who have been like that. Trust me. Empty talkers, deceivers, especially of the circumcision party. What in the world does that mean? They must be silenced since they are upsetting entire families by teaching for shameful game that which they ought not to teach. They must be silenced. They must be rebuked. They must be exposed. Do you realize that that is the most loving thing I can do for you. What I just shared with you, which I don't know, it might have sounded pretty pointed. I hope it did. The most loving thing I can do is to point out these realities. The one who loves you the most is the one who will tell you the most truth about yourself. And if you're a sheep, you'll hear that truth and you will rejoice. And if you're a backslidden sheep, you may wonder whether you're really a sheep or you're even a goat. Rebuking and putting to silence, it's the most loving thing that, that I can do. It, it, it's loving for the families in the church. It's loving for you who need to be saved and or restored. And it's a solemn warning of what we just talked about for the goats who might happen to be here today. You know, I, I wonder sometimes, I, I've confessed to you that I'm not on social media. I have about this much knowledge of it. But I, I wonder if social media had existed when Paul lived, if he would have been concerned with the number of likes on, on his Facebook page or Instagram or what else is it, Twitter? I, I just wonder. In fact, I was having a conversation with Jonathan the other day, and I said, we, now we're on Facebook. Our church is on Facebook, aren't we? He said, yeah. I said, do you ever look at the likes? And it occurred to me that I'd, I'd always thought of that as, well, yeah, you want all the likes you can get. Not necessarily. If you're preaching the truth in Jesus' name, it is going to be offensive for goats and for false prophets and for savage wolves. And if one of those or several of those enter your church, 
So I, I don't know. Maybe I ought to get on and see how many dislikes we have after this sermon. It better be for the right thing and not my cocky attitude or anything like that. You know, God help me, please. But do you see what I'm saying? Paul was not concerned, and I don't think you and I ought to be concerned about the number of likes we get when we tell people the truth. That word rebuke means to expose, and he said silence. How do, how do you do that? Number one, you just give them the truth of sound doctrine. Just give it over and over. Do you have a relative or someone who's just not following the Lord and their thoughts are just so far out there? You're not going to win an argument. Just give them sound doctrine. Maybe in bite-sized pieces. But that's the first thing you can do. And then, please, don't platform them. John said it like this, if anyone comes to you or is among you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked ways. And that that can be done in a variety of, of ways. So many churches, someone says, hey, I'd like to have this study. Go have it. Ladies study, men's study. Hey, we're, we're going to have this stu- Have at it. Nobody ever asks about what material are you using? What content? Do you know how hard that can be? And yet how necessary that is? So that we don't, I'm just going to make it personal, we don't platform that which will ultimately upset entire families. Now, this particular group, just just real quick, he said, members of the circumcision party. What in the world is that? These are the Judaizers. This group went after the church of the Apostle Paul from the get-go. Here's what they basically taught, and let me share this with you. Any religious group This is not unkind to say this. This is just true. Any religious group, anybody who says that salvation comes, that you can earn your approval before God by believing in Jesus and then adding something. Jesus plus. Jesus plus baptism. Any groups that do that? Are they the true church? I'm going to tell you they are not teaching sound doctrine. The Judaizers said, well, you've got to be the circumcision party. You can be a Christian. Isn't that great? Just believe in Jesus, get circumcised, and then keep the Mosaic ceremonial laws and you'll be saved. And Paul said, anathema. This is after the first missionary journey. Men came down from Judea, were teaching the brothers. Now, this is not goats. This is savage wolves. Unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, most people will not say it with, with that kind of boldness. They'll be a lot more subtle than that. But it infects people. Galatians, one of the early books that Paul wrote, 
And he wrote to these Galatians, he said, I am, I'm blown away. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Now watch this. There is not another gospel. It's a fake gospel, but there are some who trouble you, like he was telling trouble whole families, and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if an angel from heaven, we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, which is Jesus alone, solus Christus, let him be accursed. Entire groups, and we're looked at as being unkind if we say the Catholic Church, in their doctrines, I'm not saying every Catholic believes what the Catholic Church puts out there, but look it up. They do not believe that you can be saved by Christ alone. Yes, you need the grace of Jesus Christ, but you've got to add things to it. Every other group that does that. And that's why we have to be so discerning for ourselves, for our families, and in the life of our church. Last thing, Christians live in a fallen and corrupt culture, oh my, and must learn discernment. You will know them by their fruits. Verses 12 through 16, let me read this, make a few comments, and then we finish up. Have our Lord's Supper. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said Cretans are always liars. Evil beasts, hmm, wonder if that could be like savage wolves, lazy gluttons. Wait a minute, who's that talking about? Cretans? Stop there. Is that talking about Americans? Well, it sure sounds like a lot of people I know. And then I, you know, I was reading this last week and I thought, oh God, that's me. Have you ever lied? Oh, come on, that's not just a rhetorical question. Have you ever lied? What do you call a person who lies? Okay, so Cretans are always liars. Well, maybe you're not always. Evil beast, lazy gluttons. <gasps> Don't ask me that when I'm watching TV and eating popcorn and all that. I can, yeah, okay. This testimony is true. Therefore, do what? If you love people and want them to come to Jesus, what do you do? What does it say right there? rebuke, expose, that's what that word means, them sharply, sharply, so that they may be. Now, here's, this is a group, this is not the goats right here. You're rebuking both the goats, but you're also adding backslidden sheep, because frankly, they may not be able to know the difference, and you can't tell the difference. So this group, I'm saying this for a very specific reason, so that they may be sound in their faith, that's the backslidden sheep, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people. These are the goats and the, the, the savage wolves because they've turned away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, that's another sign of goats. And savage wolves, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God. Does that sound familiar? but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. 
Again, is that just the Cretans? Several times in the Bible we see, we see this. When, it's almost like in a certain era, God will pull away his restraints. And groups of people will just slide. They're dead, but their, their culture will slide. In the days of Noah... God saw that there was wickedness on the face of the earth. Wickedness, wickedness like no other. And what did he do? This was a global event because there was global depravity. You know what this is a picture of? People, this is just a picture of human depravity set in culture. Sodom and Gomorrah. Boy, their stink has gone up to me. And I'm going to destroy them. This is when somehow he just pulled away his restraint and Sodom and Gomorrah have become a byword. We bring it up to the future. By the way, in both those cases, there was no repentance. There is a story of of, of one, and that was the story of Jonah and Nineveh. The whole city of Nineveh they were going to be destroyed. The message that God gave to Jonah was not God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. He loved them enough to tell them the truth. Repent. And if you don't repent, you'll perish. And everyone repented. Boy, that's a positive example. The other two, we know that they did not repent and they were destroyed in their sin. Now, throughout the sermon, I've encouraged you to ask yourself, I pray that you will, which are you? Are you a sheep? Do you hear his voice? Are you following him? Or are you a goat? And I think that the advice from Jerry Bridges, it's the, it's the last quote on the other side of your, your outline. Let me read it for you and, and then give you one last thing. We should never be afraid to examine ourselves. And I will never apologize for asking you to examine yourself. Bridges goes on to say, but when doubts do arise, the solution is not to try harder or to prove to ourselves that we are believers. That's Jesus plus. The solution is to flee to the cross and to the righteousness of Christ, which is our only hope And then, having looked to Christ alone for our justification, we can look to His Spirit to enable us to deal with those areas of our lives that cause doubt. I was in the mall a couple of weeks ago. I saw a sign. It was for a church. It said, come just as you are. I wasn't sure what the rest of that was. What does that mean? Whatever you're wearing, your hair is a mess, just put a ball cap. Maybe. But I think it, it communicates a message. The Pope last week told the transgender community almost the same thing when he said, God loves you just as you are. Now, are both of those true? God loves you to come as you are, 
But that means to acknowledge your sin and rebellion because He doesn't intend for you to stay just as you are. And at best, those two statements are misleading. At worst, they're damning. And I looked at that and I was thinking and an old song came back to me that we used to sing at the end of almost every service. The preacher just preached his heart out. He was, his tie was undone. He was hoarse. And we would sing about a gajillion verses of just as I am. So I thought of that, come just as you are. But listen to the words because they relay something so vital. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot, to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, thou wilt receive, will welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve, because thy promise I believe. O Lamb of God, I come. Would you bow your heads with me, please? And as you're doing that, we're going to transition into our time of, of taking the Lord's Supper. But let me just encourage you once again to examine yourself. Are you in the faith? If you're backslidden, if you know that you've come to Christ, if you know that you're His, but you have not been living the way that He has designed for you to live, you can repent. Repentance is always a part of the gospel life every day. So you can do that. But if you're here today and you realize, I have never yet put my trust, my faith in Jesus Christ. I've never turned away from playing like I'm God, fighting against God. I've never turned by faith to Jesus Christ. Well, today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. pray that you'll do that. Well, Father, I pray that you would enable us now as we take these simple elements and we remember the broken body and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that people would respond as we need to respond. I pray this in his name. Amen.